Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Warfare Podcast. I'm your host, James Rogers, and I'm on the move today. I am at the Waterloo Battlefield in Belgium, the site of that monumental clash between Wellington and Napoleon, that final clash. We're here with Waterloo Uncovered that brings veterans to these sites to uncover new histories of the battle. Now, you can find out all about that for a new TV series we're doing for History Hit TV, and of course, we're going to bring you a dedicated podcast here on the Warfare Podcast. But this month, for the month of of July we are dedicated to the Korean War and so for this episode you'll find me on HMS Belfast talking to the director of the Belfast that is Rob Rumble. Now Rob takes us through the history of the Belfast from well the moment it was laid down in the late 1930s all the way through its service in the Second World War but then we focus in on the fact that it was HMS Belfast that was there as part of that UN rapid response team to try and stop that North Korean incursion down into the south. This is a fascinating history for a remarkable ship. Enjoy. Hi Rob, welcome to the Warfare Podcast, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you, and welcome aboard HMS Belfast. Yeah, well thank you so much for having us. It's good to meet you in person, finally. Tell us, what's your role here on Belfast? So I'm lead curator for HMS Belfast at Imperial War Museums. Okay, great. So what does that mean in terms of your day-to-day? Are you running this place? Is this ship yours? I, I kind of like to think of it as my own, but yeah, I look after the collections relating to the ship, the stories of its crew, its history, any new displays that we're setting up in the ship, and, um, you know, talking to people like you, yeah. Amazing. All right, well, I'm really excited to get down deep into those stories. But first of all, you've got to tell me, where am I standing right now? So we're up in what's known as the Compass Platform, or the Captain's Bridge, and this is where Belfast would have been commanded from during its active service. So you'd have had the captain or another officer of the watch up here in charge of the ship, you know, responsible for exactly 
where the ship went, what it did, and what it encountered. Okay, so this is the hub, this is the brain of the ship. This is the brain of the ship. And you can see around us all this sort of communications technology where the captain and officers could keep in touch with all of the other crew around the ship to make sure that it functioned as efficiently as possible. So in the midst of battle, this must have been one hell of a busy area. You've got all these telephones all around. This is also the communications hub. This is not only the brain, it's the ears of the ship. Yeah, you'd have been packed with officers and ratings up here on watch, um, monitoring equipment, uh, monitoring the compass, communicating with other parts of the ship and making sure that the captain's orders could be carried out as quickly and as effectively as possible. Okay, so let's get into a bit about the ship itself, because I'm walking along here, I'm walking along Hayes Dock, I'm telling my friends that this is a battleship. It's not a battleship, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> what is this? So Belfast is what's classed as a light cruiser, and what that means is that the ship was sort of a mid-sized warship. It had Still what we consider big guns, so they have a six inch diameter. What, and what does that mean? That's the size of the munitions? That's the diameter of the barrel. Okay. So the munitions are just a tiny bit smaller yep. to, to fit down the barrel. Okay. Um, however, as you said, a battleship is much larger and that would have carried guns of like a 15 inch diameter. So quite a bit bigger, but where Belfast strengths were, were in its speed. So she could sail up to 32 knots at full speed, which is about 40 miles an hour, which for a ship that's 12,000 tonnes is spectacularly yeah. fast. Although she would have quickly have run out of fuel and worn out the engines doing that at a sustained level. Burnout. Exactly, yeah. So it was pretty big guns, high speed, but relatively lightly armoured. That's what makes a light cruiser. But she had the range to sail anywhere in the world and you know had enough supplies to serve anywhere where the Royal Navy needed her. Okay, anywhere in the world. And that makes this ship pretty special because it did see service all around the world, particularly in Korea. So why was HMS Belfast in the Korean War? Why did that conflict even begin? Okay, I'll start with how the conflict yes. began. So we're looking at the world after the Second World War with two global superpowers. You have the United States and its allies and the Soviet Union and its allies. Um, two very different ideological paths these um, superpowers were taking. This was known as the Cold War because it didn't actually lead to a Third World War, but there was always the risk of that and always more localised. but really bloody conflicts breaking out, often fueled by the ideological differences of the Cold War. Yeah, Korea... They being... called them limited wars, right? Small wars, but they weren't small for the people that were there. They were just limited because we didn't use nuclear weapons. Because Korea was a pretty fierce conflict. Oh, it was absolutely horrendous. It went on for nearly three years and over three million people were killed, which, considering it was limited to on the Korean peninsula itself, is... A horrendous casualty rate so and it really was the first of these limited wars between the west and the communists yeah so we, we move through the cold war we see a few limited wars around the world you see small interventions in in africa or in south america but of course in asia we have vietnam as well yeah. but drilling down into korea what was hms belfast doing there what were the royal navy doing there Okay, so again, after the Second World War, the British the, and the Royal Navy, they thought they were back in East Asia, been humiliated at the early part of the Second World War by the Japanese occupying Malaya, Singapore, Burma, 
Hong Kong, all of those British possessions. However, once the Japanese were defeated, the British considered themselves to be back and wanted to show the people of Hong Kong and Southeast Asia that the British Empire had returned, it was business as usual, and the Royal Navy was on hand to police the trade, the shipping lanes, much as it had been before the Second World War. Yeah, this is, this is an early like 1900s role. You know, the Royal Navy rules the seas, it's the world's police. That's a role it was trying to take on again. That's exactly what the Royal Navy were trying to do again. But the world had changed. The Cold War was the new political reality. And really, by the late 1940s, the Royal Navy was second to the United States Navy in terms of numbers and strength in the Pacific. So really, the British and the Royal Navy were looking for their new place in the world. Britain had been almost bankrupted by the Second World War, so maintaining these large fleets around the world in the Indian Ocean, in the Pacific Ocean, was something that Britain was struggling to maintain. So it was a case of finding out where Britain and the Royal Navy stood in, in the new world order. Trying to craft its place in the world, especially at a time, you know, the more we look back at the Second World War and the more we look forward through the Cold War and into British history, you almost look and see, you know, was Britain economically defeated at least during that period? But that's for another episode, Rob, Indeed, right? yes. How did you miss Belfast? What was HMS Belfast doing in Korea? Was it specifically selected? Did they want a light cruiser there or was it just fortuitous that it was nearby? So Belfast was part of the British Pacific Fleet at that time, maintaining order in Britain's uh, Asian possessions and also helping to administer the Allied occupation of Japan. And that's exactly where Belfast was um, off the Japanese coast when the North Koreans invaded South Korea in June 1950. This took the West by surprise, and there weren't really suitable forces in East Asia at that time to comprehensively defeat the North Koreans. The Americans managed to pull together some forces based in Japan, occupying the Japanese islands, and really whatever the Royal Navy had to hand was hastily put together in order to send them to Korea, to Korean waters, to help bombard the North Korean forces, who at that early stage of the war were sweeping all before them. Making such quick ground and yeah. supported by the Chinese. So here's where we start to see the world divided. That's you start it, to see yeah. communism versus capitalism. You've got Soviet Russia, you've got China, and then you've got North Korea all together at this point, working in tandem. Of course, the Soviets come in a lot more of it later on in the war, but HMS Belfast is there as that literal vanguard, that spearhead, to try and stop them pushing through until reinforcements arrive. This is one of the first ships that gets there, right? Yeah, that's it, exactly. So Belfast made it to what was known as the Pusan perimeter, yeah. where the South Koreans and the Americans had set up really a defensive last stand on the South Korean coast against the North Koreans. But by then, the North Korean armies, their supply lines were stretched. They were taking heavy casualties. And by then, the Western powers, the Americans, the British, Canadians, Australians, etc., were able to bring in a, just enough firepower to make their heavy artillery, their warships like Belfast, their air power, to make all of that firepower count and really stop the North Koreans in their tracks and then start to push them back. And this is a role that Belfast was m literally made for, right? And if I dig back in my brain somewhere, I've got a fact that it was, it was went into service 37, 38? Yeah, it was uh, launched in 38 and commissioned in August 1939. Okay, good. So I'm almost there. <laughs> but it was made for Pacific waters. It was made to serve out in Asia. 
That's it, exactly, yeah. So, again, with the role of the light cruiser having this range around the world and this high speed meant that the ship was, uh, in theory, perfectly placed to carry the war to the, the communist North Koreans in the Korean War. However, because yeah, it was... tell me about practice. Okay, how was it in practice? In practice, though, it wasn't so easy. So, as part of the peacetime yeah. Pacific Fleet, Belfast only had a peacetime crew complement limited ammunition, limited supplies. So, in fact, when the Korean War started, Belfast actually only had enough trained crew to fire half of its six-inch guns. Wow. The West were really um, caught by surprise here. Well, it was supposed to be about peace, enforcing a, a peaceful world through the United Nations. And remember, Korea is a UN-sanctioned conflict. So you could say that HMS Belfast had a peacekeeping role. That's it, exactly. It was that maintaining peace in East Asia. You know, the British were expecting small-scale insurgencies yeah. at the worst from communists in Malaya or in Indonesia and places like that. You know, a full-scale war, you know, with armies, navies, air forces, as, as the Korean War was, they weren't really expecting so soon after the Second World War. So Belfast was really, the effort Belfast put in during those first few months from June 1950 was, was a little bit improvised. And in many ways, it's you know, testament to the ship that they were so effective despite those limitations. From Wondery, American History Tellers is a podcast that explores extraordinary events from the history of the United States and brings them to life. And in an all-new season, you'll learn about a tragedy that is often overlooked in American history, the Great Mississippi Flood. In the summer of 1926, the American Midwest saw rainfall like it had never seen before, and there was only one place for all that rain to go, the Mississippi River. In total, the flood submerged 27,000 square miles in seven states, destroying crops, paralyzing transportation, and washing away hundreds of farms and communities. By the time the flood waters receded, as many as 1,000 Americans were dead, and more than 600,000 were left homeless. Learn about the forgotten history of one of America's worst natural disasters, and how the racism, exploitation, and betrayal that followed it transformed the American landscape forever. Listen to American History Tellers on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen one week early and ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss.
Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. And an adaptable crew, which of course is important, well-trained, well-functioning, able to fulfill that role, even on the fly a bit. But take us through its role itself while it was there. Did it come under attack or was it mainly just being off coast, launching its guns inland? I mean, what, what's the range of this? Biggest guns we're thinking, what, 20 miles? Yeah, the six inch guns can fire up to about 15 miles. 15 and, miles. Um... Okay, put that into perspective. So we're here, we're in central London. You've got Tower Bridge just behind me. Where could we, I mean, in theory, it's a strange thing to say, but where could we hit? Okay, so in, in theory, if, if we aim the guns from where we are exactly now, we could probably hit target beyond the M25 out in Hertfordshire and places okay. like that. So, sorry, Hertfordshire. Yeah. Uh, sorry, Hertfordshire. That's just where I happened to travel through this morning. So, um, <laughs> yeah. so that's the sort of distance we're talking about. And yeah, exactly. So Belfast would have been carrying out coastal bombardments during okay. the Korean War. It would have been sailing up and down, usually in tandem with other Royal Navy or United Nations forces cruisers, calling in fire from ashore from the United Nations, um, you know, the South Korean, the Americans, the Commonwealth forces on land. It's and a supporting role. They're supporting the troops who are fighting on inland on exactly. that coast. Yeah, that's it exactly. Like, like it did on D-Day. Almost exactly like on D-Day, yeah. I was down just before for D-Day, down on uh, Gold Beach on King Green section. Oh, brilliant. Where the Green Howards were coming up. And Belfast and Orion were the ones who were firing over the top there to clear that ground up on the hill as they were moving forwards. Yeah, that's so it. So that's exactly. the role it was playing, right? That is a very, very similar role to Korea. But where... Korea's a bit different from D-Day. Was sort of D-Day was a relatively short, sustained period. Yeah. Um, you know, Belfast was finished once the fighting had moved inland. Yeah. The fighting along the Korean coast went on for over two years. So Belfast was in almost constant action during that period. Does um, that say something about the type of conflict it was then? Are we talking bloody, entrenched war of attrition in Korea? Yeah, so the Korean War had two very distinctive phases. The first six months to a year or so of the conflict, a lot of movement. The various front lines were sweeping up and down the Korean peninsula as either side um, had the upper hand. And then this stabilised during the winter of 1950 to 51, roughly where the current border between yeah. North and Korea is today. And then, yes, it, from then onwards, it was a protracted stalemate as both sides tried to work out how they could outflank the enemy. And that's where the naval power came in. So from then onwards, uh, Belfast and similar ships were often just working around the edges of the communist forces, trying to take the strategically important islands along the west and east uh, coasts of Korea, trying to look for that weak point to hopefully try and outflank the enemy. I mean, it's vital. It's a vital role that without ships like Belfast, you just couldn't have sustained that presence on land. So did that make Belfast a pretty high value target 
for the North Koreans, for the Chinese, for the Soviets. Yeah, the communists were acutely aware that they had limited naval power compared to the Western forces, the Commonwealth navies in the United States. So they did what they could with their air power and their artillery to blunt the naval effort against them. Again, part of the Cold War politics, the, all of this equipment would have been supplied to the North Koreans by the Soviet Union. And yeah, so in fact, Belfast was a relatively lucky ship, but she did sustain her only casualty in action in the summer of 1952. When, what do you mean by her only casualty in action? Her only casualty in action during the Korean War? This ship was from, what, 36, 37, like you said, 38, went into commission in 39. So you're going all the way through the Second World War. When was it decommissioned? 1964, yeah. So you, so you don't mean from 39 to 64 I, there was only one casualty? Yeah, the, it, the ship was a lucky ship. Superstitious sailors, they felt that a ship that was built in Belfast, named Belfast and launched on St Patrick's Day, always had the luck of the Irish about her. And they always felt a special connection with the name and where the ship was from. So in many ways, that bore true. All the action Belfast was in during the Second World War and Korea. The unfortunate, one fatal casualty during Korea was a guy called leading Stuart Lao So. He was from Hong Kong. And at the time, the Royal Navy had crews from all over the British Empire. And there were Hong Kong sailors serving in Belfast. And basically what happened was the one morning when Belfast was sailing along the coast looking for enemy targets, North Korean coastal artillery opened fire on the ship and scored, from their perspective, a lucky hit on the ship's flank. Lao So was asleep in his hammock at the time, off duty, and the explosion from the shell ruptured a steam pipe and the resulting explosion caused fatal injuries to him. There were other crewmen who were killed during Belfast time, but they either died ashore in coastal hospitals or died in accidents and other non-action-related uh, incidents. Yeah. But the, yeah, the unfortunate Lauso was the only crewman to die in HMS Belfast from enemy action. Okay, you mentioned Changnido. What was Changnido? So Changnido is a small island off the west coast of Korea, and it was during these flanking operations around the coast. Basically, the North Koreans carried out a bit of a sneak attack on the island. A little amphibious operation occupied the island, and the UN forces went in almost straight away to force the North Koreans out. And it was some of the bloodiest hand-to-hand -hand fighting that Belfast's crew were involved in. We have the story of the Surgeon Lieutenant during the time, a chap called Tony Rowan, and he kept a diary during this period of all the casualties being brought on board the ship in a 24-hour period. In fact, he managed to save the lives of 16 people in his sickbay during that period as the South Korean and US Marines, with gunfire support from Belfast, managed to eject the North Koreans from Changnido Island and then, you know, reoccupy that territory. So really fierce fighting. And again, Belfast is vital, not only in fire support, but also trying to tend to those who have been sick and wounded during that particular period. That's it, exactly. And, and not just soldiers. There were Korean civilians living on the island and they got caught up in the crossfire. And in fact, Rowan's medical notes, uh, you look at them and some of the casualties are from artillery shrapnel, small arms fire, is just, just horrendous. A really tough fight that in many ways 
only a very small engagement, but that kind of sums up the nature of the warfare during the Korean conflict. It does, and it sums up also the role that Belfast was playing there. So when did that role for Belfast come to an end in the Korean War? So Belfast continued um, these bombardment operations right up until September 1952, when the Royal Navy um, looked at redeploying their forces. And already from that period onwards until the signing of the armistice in summer of 1953, the war still continued at a bloody stalemate, but there were peace negotiations going on. So the United Nations were you know, looking ahead to hopefully the end of the conflict by then. Yeah, and peace negotiations, uh, well, never a true peace agreement, but continue to see Korea separated today. That's the legacy of the war. Exactly. The armistice signed in the summer of 1953 was really was, was a compromise for yeah. both sides. Both sides had taken so many casualties during the war that continued fighting was unsustainable. And they, they knew that it would have taken an effort that would have destabilised the rest of Asia to win the war one way or another, bringing in more Soviet or US forces or even using nuclear weapons. And that was completely unacceptable at that time. So the armistice was signed and that isn't a peace treaty. Yeah. It was just a ceasefire. And in a way, both the North Koreans and the South Koreans are living with that compromise today. Even today in the 2020s, they're still officially at war. And the armistice is the compromise that keeps a de facto peace uh, on the Korean Peninsula. And it's through ships like this, through this living history, that we can learn about that particular period of history and, of course, contemporary events and why it continues to rumble on today with missile tests on both sides, even in the last month or so. So if people wanted to come and visit here on Belfast, could they learn about the Korean War? Yeah, exactly. We tell the story of the ship's entire 25-year active service uh, in HMS Belfast. We cover the stories of the Korean War. Um, you can come and see our East Asia mess deck where the, um, the ratings, the ordinary seamen, lived and, and yeah, slept during that period. We've also got the story of the Battle of Changnido, which was a fierce engagement Belfast took part in during the Korean War. And that's down in our sick bay where the casualties brought on board during the conflict, naval casualties, Korean civilians, even North Korean soldiers uh, were treated in Belfast sickbay. And we tell the story of all that conflict uh, down there. Amazing. So well worth a visit. I encourage our listeners to come along. Rob, thank you so much for your time. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening, but before you go, a reminder that you can now follow along online on Twitter at HistoryHitWW2, on Instagram at JamesRogersHistory, and on TikTok also at JamesRogersHistory. You can also subscribe to our free Warfare Wednesdays newsletter via the link in the show notes. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. And before you go, remember, as a Warfare listener, you get a special discount at History Hit. Subscribers get access to blissfully, uninterrupted, ad-free podcasts and thousands of hours of history documentaries. You've got everything from the American Revolution to my own documentaries like Traces of War, Weapons of War and 24 Hours in Normandy, where I follow in the footsteps of the Green Howards on D-Day from their beach landings to being awarded the Victoria Cross and all the way through their first day where they made it seven miles inland further than any other British or American unit. So head over to historyhit.com forward slash subscribe or follow the link in the show notes and use the code WARFARE to get 50% off your next three months. That's the code WARFARE to get 50% off. And if you're an Apple listener, you can subscribe for new ad-free episodes within the app. So give it a go. I know you're gonna love it.